Welcome to Spirit of the Hall, our Teddy Hall podcast series brought to you for Orlarians by Orlarians. My name is Ollie Belcher, and I am the immediate past president of the St. Edmund Hall Alumni Association. I'm delighted to bring you conversations with some of Teddy Hall's most fascinating alumni, fellows, students, and staff. This episode is with Senator Larry Presler, who came up to the Hall in 1964 as a Rhodes Scholar where he was awarded his diploma in social and public administration. Senator President loved his time at the hall, after which he was sent to Vietnam in 1966 for two years to fight in the war there. One of my difficulties was that they also had the draft going on when I was at Teddy Hall, so I was always under danger of being drafted to the army. I eventually did go in and serve two tours of duty in Vietnam. After Senator President returned from Vietnam, he entered American politics. He had a short stint in the House of Representatives, and served three times as a senator, where he describes himself as a rhino. In those days, they called us rhinos, Republican in name only. That's what they called the more liberal. A pivotal moment in his career was when he turned down a bribe to let what he called pretenders come into the States. Some people met with me posing as Arab sheiks, and they wanted to get into the uh, United States. And they offered me a bribe to do that for them, but I did not do it. Senator Presler was very disappointed not to be re-elected for a fourth term, but now enjoys writing and teaching. I don't know if Teddy Hall has ever developed much of an appetite for American politics, but uh, if that happens, I'm prepared to volunteer to go over there for a few months, do some teaching if that would be valuable. Senator, it is a real privilege to speak to you today and hear about your journey into politics. Thank you for giving us your time. So, Senator Presler, welcome to Spirit of the Hall, and thank you for joining me today, especially as I know you're very busy and traveling a lot of the time. Yes, well, I'm very honored, and I'm glad that you have something called Spirit of the Hall, because uh, I think we we did have and do have a special spirit at St. Edmund Hall. Absolutely, and I'm going to definitely delve into that today. But first, I'm going to start by asking you to cast your mind back to when you came up to Oxford and Teddy Hall as a Rhodes Scholar. Can you tell me how and when did you wind up in the front quarter of Teddy Hall? And you know, did somebody inspire you to apply? Well, it was way back in 1964, which is a long time ago. I didn't know much about Oxford University in terms of the differences in the colleges. Bill Williams, who was then the warden of Rhodes House, uh, we used to call him the Roden of Ward's House. <laughs> uh, but uh, in any event, he managed the Rhodes Scholars and got them out to colleges. And I told him that I wanted to be in a college that didn't have too many Americans. I wanted to go and be among the English students and uh, the students from overseas. And through that, I, I met Tony Georgiartis, who became my lifetime best friend, who was from Rhodesia, I, I believe, at the time. There were a lot of foreign students in St. Edmund Hall at that time. And I was sent there in part to meet them because I wanted to meet people from all over the world. So uh, that was kind of the spirit of Teddy Hall at that time. And had you, had you actually visited or been to Teddy Hall before you arrived? No, but that's a very good question. I never had been uh, there before I arrived in Oxford. And I went to the Rhodes House. That's what we did in, the, in those days. To, it was sort of my headquarters before I got over to Teddy Hall. But it was unusual for an American to go to Teddy Hall. because I think I was probably one of the few Americans in Teddy Hall. So how was life as a Rhodes Scholar? I mean, did you feel different from other students? Well, yes, it was a surprise and, and a delight, but it was also a disappointment in some ways. In those, in those years, St. Edmund Hall was one of the poorer colleges, and it didn't have 
a lot of modern conveniences. It didn't have a bathroom in every uh, slot there as they do now. And uh, it was kind of a, a, a rough place in some ways, and the heat wasn't always good. That's the thing that bothered me in the in the winter time. I, I like to get warm when I came, <laughs> and I was cold the whole all winter because it's cold, wet English winters. But uh, anyway, people were very nice to me, and uh, I made some lifetime friends as well as several other people whom I'm still in touch with. Mm-hmm. And I, I had as a tutor John Dunn Babbin, who is still in, in the hall, I believe retired partially. And uh, I met uh, Bill Zeltanoga, who, who died recently, who was an American Rhodes Scholar. So I was very lucky to have landed in St. Edmund Hall. But I landed there quite by accident in the same life that they had there. So, but it was different for me, and, and it was fairly hard for me to get adjusted to the lunchtime conversations and so forth. And uh, Everybody there was interested in sports, sports that I didn't know anything about. And it was quite an experience for me. And Senator, what did you actually read at the hall? I did PPE. But I didn't uh, finish a PPA degree. I finished what's called what was called a diploma in public and social administration. I think they still do. They have a diploma program for people who go for one year or who are trying to work on a PhD someplace, something like that. And I have on my wall over here a diploma in public and social administration. So I got my piece of paper from Oxford. Excellent. And, and apart from reading your diploma in social and public administration, what else do you do? When you were at Oxford, I did my first rowing, and I'd never rowed in a. And it, this is very small time rowing compared to. Uh, but uh, I actually rowed in a St. Edmund Hall had a lot of boats in those days, and I think we had eight boats, uh, if if that were possible. Our principal was J. M. D. Kelly, and he believed in rowing for everybody. So my rowing wasn't like in the blues or in the first uh, in the first group. And uh, I uh, enjoyed that very much. It was the first time I've done any rowing other than in a little fishing boat by Beaver Lake by Humboldt, South Dakota. Uh, (laughs) Right. Yeah, no, I might have added that one of my difficulties was that they they also had the draft going on when I was at Teddy Hall. So I was always under danger of being drafted into the Army. And I eventually did go in and serve two tours of duty in Vietnam. But that was kind of a distraction while I was there. Took uh, part of the fun out of it because uh, the students were so divided in the Vietnam War, and I didn't. I was kind of again in the middle and, and struggling with what to do. So I actually went and served in. I became an, an army lieutenant, wore a uniform for two years. So it was a it was interesting times, but also very tense, and just nobody knew what was going to happen. It looked as though that the Vietnam War was expanding. Well, there were high call ups for U.S. personnel and. Uh, including from Oxford, you could be called up. The military situation was very tense because a lot of the students didn't agree with the war in Vietnam and they were trying to resist the draft. And uh, some went to Canada and uh, some stayed in Europe. Uh, but I, I, I just did, I, I did my service. I did two years of military service, boots on the ground in Vietnam. And uh, I feel good about that. But uh, I didn't agree with the war entirely either. There, all these wars are such a waste of time, but we keep fighting them, it seems as though. But, but what, what, what did you do day-to-day in Vietnam? What was it like? Vietnam was a fascinating place to go to in those days. It was, I got hepatitis and all the jungle diseases and so forth. and still probably have them. And I also got some kind of cancer uh, out of it, probably. We sprayed all, all the countryside with Agent Orange to keep the 
leaves off the trees in some places so snipers couldn't shoot at us. But in any event, the uh, it, it was quite a scene. Uh, I was going to say, if, in retrospect, it was the greatest tour I've ever gone on. Uh, kind of a harsh thing to say because but I saw everything from people getting killed to Vietnamese fighting among themselves to Americans and Australians fighting together. The Australians were our ally in the part of Vietnam I was in. And it was very nice of the Australians to come and be with us there. It was such a miserable war. So uh, I want to give the Australians a salute for, for that. And, and were you disappointed to return after two years or did you feel it was time to go home? Yes, uh, your tour comes to an end and, and I, was glad to, I was glad to go home. But I was, I'm the sort of a guy that I... I got to see all of Vietnam. I got to see the presence of the U.S. military there, and I got to see several bombings at a distance, and uh, I don't like that at all, but it certainly was an interesting time of my life. So so when you returned, you then attended the JFK School of Government at Harvard and also Harvard Law School. Yes. But you ended up going into politics rather than law. Can you tell me about your journey into politics? Well, in 1974, the Republicans had, couldn't find anybody to run for the House <laughs> right. because it was, it was a big Democratic year because the, 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 something was going on. I guess people were against the war or something. And Richard Nixon was there. So it was a tough year. But I ran on kind of a shoestring, and to my surprise, I won. And uh, was there in the House or Senate for about 22 years. But you served first in the House of Representatives, right? In That is correct. That yeah. is correct. A two-year term in the House of Representatives. So what made you move from the House to the to the Senate? Well, a six-year term, first of all, you're going to have to run once every six years. But uh, the Senate only has 100 members, so you, you, you have more chance to influence public policy. The Senate is, a, you can do more in foreign policy and, and uh, domestic policy as a senator okay. in the United States. That's not, probably not true in all countries. I know a lot of countries, the Canadians and the Australians have, have senators who play very significant roles. And, and I believe you were the youngest senator since JFK. Is, is this correct? Well, I'm not sure if that's correct or not. I was a young senator. Right, okay. What kind of senator were you? How would you describe yourself? Uh, a moderate centrist. Uh, I was not in the far right or the far left. I managed to squeak by by not yielding to try to be in some of the primaries. Some of the Republicans had to go far to the right. I never did that. So I guess I'm a, the dullest thing in, in, in American politics, which is a moderate centrist. <laughs> right, okay. But, you, but you're, so you're a Republican moderate centrist. That's right. In those days, they called, in those days, they called us rhinos, Republican in name only, that that they, that's what they call the more liberal. Okay, uh, I know, so I like that. Um, so, so can you tell me about any pivotal moments in your political career? Well, I got offered a bribe uh, when I went down there uh, by, uh, believe it or not, by my own government, and uh, I turned it down. So I had sort of a day or two of fame in turning down a bribe on tape, which I did. And I guess it's somewhere on YouTube if you can find it. What was but, what was uh, the bribe for? For helping uh, some pretenders get into the United States. That is, the, in those days, a senator could introduce a bill, and people could be admitted through immigration quickly to become a citizen. And uh, some people met with me posing as Arab sheiks, and they wanted to get into the uh, United States, and they offered me a bribe to do that for them. But I did not do it. Oh wow! Well done. And and am I right in saying that you were? 
and announced candidate for the American presidency itself in 1980. Yes, that is correct. That was kind of a long shot thing, but I was a Vietnam veteran and I felt strongly about a lot of veterans issues, which I still do. We've never really recognized Vietnam veterans as much as we did World War II veterans. So I was trying to raise the profile of veterans. And I had a short-lived candidacy for the presidency, but I just didn't have enough money to pursue it. You've got to, you should be a wealthy man or you should have some real, real money behind you if you try to run for president of the United States. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's still the same today, isn't it? Yes, I think so. <laughs> maybe, <laughs> maybe more so. Maybe. maybe more so. So, Senator, I read somewhere that you famously said that Gorbachev was a practical good leader for Russia, and he was good for us. Thank God for Mikhail Gorbachev. Yes. Can you tell me why you felt this? Well, I think uh, he helped Russia kind of come out of that old communism, and he was friendly to us, and he wanted to talk, and he wanted to do some business. He, he wanted to create things and do things. And I think he was a great leader for the time. And he kind of brought Russia out of that old communist state. And uh, by the way, I think England's had some good leaders too, and Mrs. Thatcher and others uh, that uh, come along about that same time. But they were interested in business. And uh, I think Mikhail Gorbachev was interested in free enterprise, believe it or not. And so you must be extremely disappointed to see what's happening now in Russia. Yes, but... But the Russians will come through it. They're such a resilient people. But it's funny how they just haven't been as lucky as we've been. We've been very lucky with our democracy. It's worked out pretty well. But the Russians, just have, uh, they just have a desire for a dictatorship, I guess. It, it gums them all up. And Senator, when did you actually retire from the Senate? And what do you do now? Well, I left the Senate in 1996. I was defeated in my last election for running for a fourth term which a lot of people are, it's, uh, we kind of have a thing in South Dakota, at least against, or for limited terms, that is, we feel that uh, we'd like to turn our senators over now and then. The same year, or the same group, uh, I served three terms in the Senate. My colleague, George McGovern, a Democrat, uh, served, uh, and he ran for presidency. You might have heard of him. He served uh, three terms, and I served three terms. Carl Mutt, our great Republican senator, served only three terms. So the point is, in the Midwest, people like limited terms, or they like to they kick you out after a while when they start getting tired of you. So maybe that is good. So were you were you expecting to lose it then? Well, no, I I, I was expecting to win it, but I lost it. Okay, so you must have been um, very disappointed. Yes, yes, yes. Of course, of course, I was. Yeah. So how did you turn it around? How what did you, what did you then go on to do? Well, I went on to uh, teach in university and also to uh, work in a consulting company uh, regarding uh, the government. I wrote a couple of books and did all the usual things that old soldiers do. Right. <laughs> Will you be campaigning in the November 2024 election? Well, yes, in the sense I've decided to write some letters in support of moderate centrist Republicans. I'm very much for, I think, the best party for the United States are moderate centrist Republicans. Yeah, the and, rhinos. Uh, yes, that's that is some some call us rhinos. Yes, and uh, it's a very important element in American politics. Nobody claims to like them because they are duller than uh, people of the far right or the far left. And our Republican Party tends to be taken over by people from the far right. And do you think do you think Donald Trump? has a chance of actually winning? Yes, I, th I think he, 
he 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 does uh, holding up there pretty well. I, I notice that uh, Pence has kind of backed off from running against him. Donald Trump has a great following in the United States and maybe worldwide, and uh, he could well be elected president again. So would that would that be possible with all these investigations going on into his previous conduct? Well, those investigations seem to make him stronger. Uh, <clears throat> people resent all all that, and uh, I don't know if it's really. Any of those investigations won't amount to much. So uh, that has made him stronger, in my judgment, than because people kind of identify with him. They think he's being persecuted. Gosh, interesting, interesting times ahead. Well, I, I think so. And also, of course, I've been very delighted that uh, England has been such a steady partner to the United States, and Australia has been too. And so have a lot of countries in the world, and so have a lot of European countries. So democracies are alive and well, and I'm not saying we should be the only kind of government, but uh, we have to be very vigilant to keep democracies going. As, as you know, we have, the one thing I don't agree with Donald Trump is his business of election denying, and I don't know how much of it he's really done or been, been accused of, but I think we should be very careful We're involved in the election. I always, in my elections, if I felt I won them, I would take credit, and if I lost them, I would call my opponent and congratulate him and concede defeat. And I don't like this business of uh, denying elections that uh, obviously there's no evidence. I mean, you can count the votes again. Mm. And uh, they all say some mysterious thing. Uh, we got, there was mysterious forces that ch changed the, the counting machines or something like that. But we can check up on that, and that's not true, generally. So I don't like election deniers. If you lose an election, you should acknowledge it. Yes, well, that, that led to the storming of the Capitol, didn't it? I believe that and other things, yes. Yeah. Tragic day. Yeah, that was not a, not a, not a, good, a good moment. So, Senator, turning back to Teddy Hall, have you been back since you left? Yes, I've been back uh, two or three times, but not enough. I'd like to be back more. I'd love to go over there and do some teaching sometime or meeting with students and so forth. But I don't know if Teddy Hall has ever developed much of an appetite for American politics. But uh, if that happens, I'm prepared to volunteer to go over there for a few months and do some teaching if that would be valuable. Well, I'm but, sure I'm uh, sure it would be. I'm sure it would be. You should get in contact with them. Okay. Well, maybe maybe they'll listen. Maybe one of them will listen to this broadcast and we'll we'll see. Absolutely, especially um, you know, if PPE was your original course. So that would be wonderful if you returned to do some teaching. And do you ever go to the um, the New York dinner held in the States? Yes, I do. I enjoy that very much. And Senator, we, we touched on it at the very beginning, the, the, the spirit of Teddy Hall. What, what do you think the spirit or the reputation of the hall is? Well, um, it's a hall that in the old days, it had a mixture of, well, mostly undergraduates. And now I guess it has more graduates. The spirit of the hall should be a friendly place where we try to learn by meeting and just exchanging ideas and debates and so forth. I was a member of the Oxford Debate Union, but also we had a St. Edmund Hall debating society within the hall, and we would have some debates over there at, uh, in the dining hall. Uh, the spirit of Teddy Hall, I think, is an international place with a lot of robust debate, students being respectful of uh, tutors and... Uh, respectful of each other. One thing that always bothered me, I've never saw very many students there from Russia or from China. And I, and I hope we've gotten those into Teddy Hall by, by now. 
It was mostly a European and American place. So, Senator, before you go, I'm going to ask you to leave us all with three favorite places of yours, one in the hall, one in Oxford, and one in the world beyond Oxford. The one in the world beyond Oxford would be this, my home state of South Dakota, which is a beautiful Midwestern state. We have Mount Rushmore there with the four faces of presidents, but it's in Deadwood, the Deadwood, South Dakota area, Western South Dakota area. And uh, the, uh, there's a lot of patriotism. People are very proud of this, that Mount Rushmore, the statues, the four presidents on it. That's one of my favorite places is, is, is South Dakota. My favorite place in the hall, I guess, would have to be uh, the dining hall, the old dining hall, where they had a high table in, there. in those days. You could invite it to go and invite it to the high table. You got some wine and <laughs> got to sit with some of the professors. I don't know if they still do that or not. Yes, I think I think very very much so. But rather than in the old dining hall, it's in the the Wolfson Hall, the new modern Wolfson oh, yes. Hall. But there's very much high table with. The, the tutors, the professors, and um, and as you say, wine on the table. But I don't know. Did, did, did the students get wine on the table too? Yes, absolutely. I think I think I've been, I've been there quite a few times in the last few years, and there's always lots of delicious food and wine on the tables. God, how how, how I missed out my <laughs> days. And the, the the students didn't get any wine on the table. But anyway, uh, Saint Edmund Hall is a place that it's placed dear to my heart. One in Oxford that. That I haven't met besides Teddy Hall. Yes. Okay. Well, I guess the the bookshops on uh, the old bookshop on uh, High Street. What's what's the name of that old book bookstore there? It's a real bookstore. I'm still a member of it, and I get mailings from it all the time. Let's see, oldest bookstore in in England. I try to read a lot of books, and I read at them more than read them through all the way. But, uh, Lovely. So, so Senator, if you could guarantee one thing about Teddy Hall that would never change, what would that be? Well, I hope it's a commitment to excellence, a commitment to integrity and studies, a commitment to when you're wrong on something, be ready to admit it. Uh, so we have a kind of a protected area from politics or from opinions, a protected area of fact. We've got to get the facts, get the truth out on the table. There's so much misinformation in this modern society. And if we can, Teddy Hall can be a, a bastion of integrity for the fact, for the basic truth, that's important. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, Senator, thank you so much for your time today. It's really inspiring to hear your story. And um, I hope you get back to Teddy Hall to maybe do some teaching. Well, thank you very much. I hope you enjoyed hearing from Senator Larry Presler, who has dedicated himself to a life of public service. Our next episode is with Alice Hart Davis, who came up to the hall in 1982 to read modern history. Alice went on to become a journalist, an author, and the founder of The Tweakments Guide, a full guide to non-surgical cosmetic procedures. Subscribe now on Spotify, Apple, or wherever you get your podcasts, and thanks for listening.